The behavior of networks is a key part of complexity science. A network is a group of interacting agents, and we all live inside networks, such as our friendship groups, or when we're with our colleagues, or even when we're online. But how does influence and power work in these networks? To answer that question, we're joined by Matthew Jackson, Eberly Professor of Economics at Stanford and external faculty of the Santa Fe Institute. Matthew is going to take us all the way back to Florence in the 1400s to talk about Cosimo de' Medici and how he used his network to wield power. This is Simplifying Complexity, a podcast where we explore the underlying principles of complex systems. Systems that seem to defy our rational view of the world, like economies, ecologies, or even you or me. I'm forensic engineer Sean Brady, and I'll be your host. One of the key concepts when we come to complexity is the concept of networks and how networks work. And on the show today, we have Matthew Jackson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. So we're going to start in an unusual place when we talk about networks. We're going to go back to 1434. We're going to go to Florence, and you're going to tell us about the Medici's. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Cosimo de' Medici in particular, and you might think of him as sort of a 500-year-ago version of Vito Corleone and The Godfather. So this was an early incarnation of that. And you have to understand the context that in Florence at that point in time, the ruling was really by a consensus of a whole group of families. So there were a group of different families who were the bankers and the merchants, main merchants and owners of things, and also had the political power through a council that ruled the city. And at that time, there was a power struggle. And there were families like Albizzi, the Strozzi, who were actually wealthier, more connected politically than the Medici. But yet somehow during that time period, the Medici were the ones that emerged that we know of today. We don't talk about the Albizis, we talk about the Medici. They came to power and a lot of that had to do with their connections. It got quite rough, didn't it? They got exiled and then they came back. Yeah, so there was a long history. So they had been supporting a lower class uprising against the guilds, and a lot of the other families didn't really like them. Also, Cosimo de' Medici was rising in power as a banker. People started to fear him. They wanted to get him out of town. And so the Albizzi, the Strozzi, and the Guadagni, another family, got together and basically convinced the council to exile Cosimo and force the family out of Florence. And that's the point at which... Cosimo reacted and was able to leverage his network. And he came right back, didn't he, in a very, very short space of time? Yeah. So by the next year, he had come back and he had managed to bring together and unite a series of the key families besides the ones he was going against. And his faction was able ultimately to banish the Albizis, and they managed to banish them more or less permanently. So he came back into power and really became, I wouldn't say monarch, but the powerful head, the precursor to a godfather at that point in time. So what we're going to talk about in this episode is this concept of influence and power. And that's where the Medici's fit in, and they were able to use their network in order to 
get power and come back into the limelight, so to speak. What's interesting about that is they weren't the wealthiest family. They weren't necessarily the most influential family. Yet through the use of their network, they were able to get that power. So in real terms, before we come to the theory, how did they do that? What was it about their network that made them different and special to the other families? Well, so first, let's put it in a little bit in the context of the way that business dealings worked back then. If you wrote a contract, it wasn't as if you could count on some police force or a court to go and enforce somebody if they didn't pay. So the way that a lot of these contracts worked was through having repeated interactions. So two families would repeatedly work together and have different kinds of business dealings. And they would also marry each other's children. So there were a lot of those marriages were not romantic. They were arranged ones, usually between a son in late 20s or 30s and a teenage daughter. And putting those two people together would unite the families. And so there was a lot of important social connections through these repeated business dealings and through these marriages that tied the families together. And so part of the strength of a family depended on who they were allied with, who they were doing the repeated business dealings with, who they could count on if they really got it cornered, who they had their children married to. And the Medici were in an amazing position in terms of that network. And that's ultimately what allowed them to come back into power. And presumably for all the other families, it was the loss of the Medici's out of that network compromised the network itself and damaged them as individual families. Yeah. And one of the things that's most interesting about how it worked was that if you look at the network itself and who was connected to which families, it wasn't that other families had fewer relationships. It was that the Medici were sort of in a unique central position. So if you look at it, it's sort of like they were the center of a star. So the families that they were connected with weren't connected to each other. Everybody had to go through the Medici as a middleman or a Cosimo de Medici was sort of like a godfather. If you wanted a favor from another person, you didn't go to that person directly. You went through Cosimo. So you would say, Cosimo, I need something. Oh, well, I can arrange it with this other family. And that center of a star like gave them a lot of power. And they were able to unite their faction because they were really the center. Whereas the Strozzi and Albizzi and everybody, they were all intermixed with different relationships in fought. They couldn't decide what to do. There was no leader there. And instead, being the center of a star, Cosimo was this natural leader who emerged and united his faction. And they were just ended up being much more powerful because of the network structure. And you have a wonderful example in your book where you talk about this is a little like friends at a dinner party. If you have six friends who are all equally friends with each other, that's one thing. But if you have one friend who invites the other five and the other five don't know each other, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Can you just expand on that? Yeah, exactly. Then the conversation flows through that person because they know things about everybody else that they can really broker the conversation and say, oh, you know, so-and-so, you should be talking to so-and-so because you have this common interest. You both went to the same college or did you know that you're working in the same So you become powerful in terms of being able to match people together and to broker things. And so often this kind of influence is referred to as bridging or brokering. You're sort of in a key central position in a network where things have to flow through you if people want to connect, if they want information, they want favors, these kinds of things all flow through this central node. And it's hard to know whether Cosimo really understood this and he was designing it all or whether it was just luck and he was able to take advantage of it. But however it happened, they really were very fortuitous and quite strong as a result of this. 
And they call this concept, this brokerage bridging concept, betweenness centrality. But the interesting thing is, this is only one type of influence you can have in a network. And you talk about four types, obviously, with betweenness centrality being one of them. What, what are the other three? So I guess the most basic one is just pure popularity. We all know that from high school, you know, who is the kid that everybody else knew and paid attention to? So there's just pure popularity. And on Twitter or social media, it might be how many followers you have, how many fans do you have? So it's just immediate reach in terms of the number of people that you can blast out to and can mobilize. The other is the sort of old adage, it's not what you know, but who you know. Maybe I don't have that many people that I know, but it happens to be Bill Gates and Barack Obama, or these are big, powerful people. And even though I don't have many connections, I've got important connections. And that can be quite powerful and influential, especially when it comes to opening doors, getting opportunities. This is called eigenvalue centrality. So what's the last one? What's reach or known as diffusion centrality? Yeah. So the other one is diffusion centrality. And that refers to, suppose that I want something to go viral. I've got a new product and I go into a town and I want to figure out who is the right person to start with if I want this to spread. It might not be the person with the most people that are connected to them. So for instance, it might be that somebody has a lot of fans but those fans aren't good at spreading things. They're not well-connected in the network. It might not be the person who's the most central in terms of the Medici, the betweenness. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're good spreaders in terms of reaching not only their friends, but friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. And so diffusion centrality asks not just how well-connected I am in terms of my direct friends, but the second order, friends of friends, third order, friends of friends of friends. And this is where complexity really comes into it, right? It's growing exponentially. I can have a reach, which is really great, even though I don't have lots of friends or I don't have really well-connected friends, it's possible that I can still be really well-positioned in terms of this diffusion process. And the key takeaway here is that depending on the structure of the network and depending on what you're trying to achieve in that network, these are four different ways you can influence that network. And some will be more successful than others, depending on the network and what you're trying to actually do with that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're Katy Perry and you're just trying to get information out about your concert, you just want to reach your direct fans. And so it's not something that needs to diffuse widely. If you're trying to get something out about a new program in, in a developing country where people are poor and things work by word of mouth and you want the whole population to be participating, now you want things to diffuse much more widely. That's a very different type of connectedness. It's not just a spokesperson that reaches their fans. It's, I want this to go through the whole population. And that's a different type of diffusion. So you got the brokerage and bridging, which is between this centrality, which is what we saw with the Medici's being in this key positions in the network. You got popularity, which is degree centrality. And that's your Katy Perry example that, you know, ultimately the more popular she is, the more fans she's got. She just wants to get a message to her fans and that sorts that out. And then you get your connection one, which was, do you know powerful people essentially in the network, like, as you say, Barack Obama or, or Bill Gates? And then there's diffusion centrality, which is how far you can diffuse in the network. So let's talk about that last one, because you've got a really interesting story about microfinance in Indian villages. So just back up a bit and tell us how that story comes about. Yeah, so this actually is a long-term project that I've been doing with some economists from MIT and Stanford. So this was Abhijit Banerjee, Esther Duflo, Arun Chandra Sikhar. These are development economists, and they go into 
areas that are developing under low income, very low income areas, need programs, and are trying to figure out how to make things work. And I was very interested in how networks are important in spreading information and testing some of these theories. And so we partnered with a bank in southern India, and this is in rural Karnataka. It's an area around Bangalore where village per capita income is about a dollar to a day. So very poor villages. And the types of loans that were being offered were very attractive loans in the sense that these are unsecured loans, meaning you don't have to have a mortgage. You don't have to put up a house or a car or some collateral. These people don't have collateral. So these are just small loans that are given out only to women in these areas. And the idea was, what's the best way of spreading information about this? Because this isn't a place where people have lots of televisions or you know are reading newspapers. Or part of the population is illiterate. Some people have phones, some people don't have phones. And the few people that have phones get too much spam SMS text messages all the time. So you're trying to figure out how to spread information. So we wanted to do that through their social networks. And so the idea was, how do we figure out who are the best people in a village for spreading information? And the bank had wildly different success in different villages. So they would go into a village, one village would, you know, half the population would show up and take out loans. The other village, nobody would show up. And they were trying to figure out, they were scratching their head, what are we doing wrong in these villages where nobody shows up? And what are we doing right in the villages you know, where everybody shows up. And so that's where we came in. So we went in and could monitor what were the social networks. So we mapped out the full social networks inside these villages, and then we're able to trace out the microfinance. So you were able to actually go and talk to people and figure out who was friends with who and who interacted with who and just build up the actual network. Yeah. And it's not an easy undertaking, in fact. So, you know, we went door to door in each of these villages. So the villages are about a thousand people each on average and would just interview all the adults and ask, if you need to borrow kerosene or rice, who do you go to? If you have a medical emergency, who do you go to? If you need important advice, who do you go to? If you need to borrow a little bit of money, who do you go to? And from all those questions, we put together a network of interactions and we could say, okay, this is one household that seems to be connected to another household. And then we could go back to the centrality, these measures that we were just talking about, and see, you know, which households are the most central ones in terms of just pure popularity? Which ones are the most central in terms of between the centrality? Which ones are the most central in terms of the diffusion centrality? And so by using those networks together with these concepts, we could see why was the bank being successful in some places and not others? So their diffusion centrality just popped out pretty strongly. So what happened is the bank would go into a village and they just had sort of a, an ad hoc way of trying to find people that they thought were good information spreaders. So what they were doing is going to shopkeepers, teachers, and self-help group leaders. So these are local leaders in the village. And they thought, well, these people must be well-connected, whatever that means. But they weren't doing it sort of scientifically by looking at the different centralities. And so what would happen is in some of these villages, it would turn out that the teacher was really highly diffusion central and a very good broadcaster of information and getting things to go viral. In another village, that teacher wasn't that well connected. And so what we found was what really mattered in terms of predicting whether or not they were going to be successful was whether or not they ended up talking to the highly diffusion central people in a village. And if they did, it spread. And if it, they didn't, it didn't. And that's quite, I mean, to, to contrast that, you're saying that the key 
piece about diffusion centrality and why it was so important was this was about getting the information to spread throughout the network quickly. It's not the same as popularity, where you're actually trying to get someone to influence someone else in the same way as you get Michael Jordan to sell your shoes. It's not that. It's not influencing you're trying to do. It's actually trying to get the message out. That's the key with the diffusion piece. Yeah. And so it turns out that these people are well-connected in terms of having friends who then can spread information and those friends can spread information. And they look sort of like the center of a tree in some way, right? It's spreading out via branches. And when you actually look at the networks, you can almost eyeball, oh yeah, those are going to be the diffusion central people. You can actually spot them. It's a very interesting concept and you don't have to have huge numbers of friends and you don't have to have real connected friends. You just have to be in that position where things grow out nicely from you to be a good diffuser. And the contrast there is fascinating, isn't it? It's that diffusion is completely different to the brokerage and the bridging that we see creating the influence in the Medici situation. Right, right. In some cases, you might find that those people tend to be the same. So it could be that Cosimo was a really good diffuser, but they can be very different. So just being the center of a star doesn't mean that you're good at reaching stuff far away in a network and getting things to move further than just your immediate friends. It could be that you're the center of a star, but those friends don't connect anywhere. So what are the key takeaways from this, Matthew? We talked about the four different types of ways you can wield influence. We've talked about the understand, really critical to understand what is the structure of the network and how does it work and what you're trying to push through the network or what you're trying to achieve in the network. Putting all that together, what are your takeaways when we come to think about influence in networks? First of all, networks are incredibly complex. When we talk about complex systems, these are very difficult objects. They're multidimensional, they're huge with lots of people, lots of different relationships. So they're really hard to quantify. And these kinds of concepts do is sort of crystallize important aspects of the network and position in a network. So, you know, who is central, who's influential? These four kinds of concepts are ways of simplifying that very complex mess and sort of saying, look, there's essential pieces that we need to understand. And moreover, they're a little bit different. So depending on what you're doing and depending on what kind of information you want to get out or what opportunities you need or whether you're trying to be a leader and unite people, you're going to need a different type of position in a network in order to be powerful and influential. And so it might not be that you're looking to find the same people for different reasons. Who's influential and powerful in one setting could be very different from a different application. Matthew, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Simplifying Complexity, where we look at the key concepts of complexity science with expert minds from across the world. Concepts like emergence, self-organization, adaptation, networks, scaling, tipping points, and much more. This podcast was produced by Brady Haywood and Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. I'm Sean Brady, and I'll see you in our next episode.